0: Thanks for being here, Sonic Tonic Experience. My name is Darren Kramer. This is an exciting episode. I'm really looking forward to speaking with my friend and former UM alum, Andy Middleton. Andy, thanks so much for being here, and making the time.
1: My pleasure, Darren. Really, my pleasure. Glad to be here.
0: This is exciting, and I'm so glad we were able to make it work out. Uh, Andy is living and working in Vienna, Austria, and uh, we had to deal with the time change and uh but we made it happen and technology was the answer right
1: (laughs) yes and a little Um, human ingenuity
0: yes it's um this is going to be really fun we're going to cover a lot of really um passionate topics for both of us including music um, music education and um our favorite beverages and really one of the most important things is our Love for the earth and nature and animals, and Andy is a real uh, passionate environmentalist, and uh, I think that's really important. So that's the kind of stuff we feature here on Sonic Tonic. We like to kick off the show by talking about our favorite beverage, quench. quench. Huh. And what is one of your favorite beverages? And what are we drinking today?
1: Well, I'm glad you said one of my favorite beverages. This is a vegetable juice. I started running about eight years ago and um, this really helps me and I've become quite hooked on it. This one is a mixture, all organic ingredients, cucumber, an apple, a lemon, a big chunk of ginger, parsley, fennel, and a bit of red beet. And I'm thirsty, so. Did you put chia seeds in that? It looks kind of gelled.
0: It does look gelled. And actually, I don't know exactly what, but it's really, I don't think I put it up liquid. Mm-hmm. Mine is carrot apple, spinach, celery, and a little bit of pro- probiotic
1: Oh, excellent!
0: mix in. So this is a little more... Well, actually no, I taste both. There's fruit and bidby in there and I really like it. The thing I think a lot of people can't get over uh, is the crazy look of it. It looks bizarre and like it won't taste good. And every drink I ever make is really quite good, and um, is that what you found?
1: Yes, and actually, um, seven years ago, I was visiting my um, close friend and favorite drummer in the world, Alan Jones, in Portland, and he gave me for the very first time kefir, or some people call it kefir. It's a um, uh, fermented milk product like yogurt, and I bought on the internet this little bunch of the organism whatever you want to call it and so i've been drinking that every day for um, seven years and it's really kind of like a monster it grows and i've been giving it to my friends and so i'm (laughs) i'm 58 years old now and i am uh aware of the wear and tear that my previous lifestyle um excesses uh exacted on my body and um so running and eating really well and uh, drinking or let's say eating probiotics every day is really important to me um, because I feel great all the time and I wake up feeling good and my body is healthy and I'm, I'm just so grateful for that because my mom died of cancer and I just know so many people that have had serious illnesses and um, my dad just had surgery a couple of days ago, and he's 91. We were worried he wasn't gonna make it through the general anesthetic, but he, he called me afterwards, yeah, I'm doing fine. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a good thing. So um, among my favorite drinks are these health-supporting drinks. And I do also like a very good uh, espresso or cappuccino. And as soon as I finish this, since in Vienna, it's 5.30 in the afternoon. I'm going to break into one of my other favorite drinks, which is a porter beer, but let's get into some other things first. Years ago, my first trip to Norway, I was sitting around um, drinking beer and one guy said something I'd never, ever heard of before. He said the reason that, that you can drink so much beer compared to water, for example, you can't sit down and drink six liters or six, you know, half liters of water as easily as you can down six beers right well actually i can't really do that either anymore but um he said it's because of the bitterness that the bitterness of the flavor gives you this um desire to keep drinking or at least the ability but you know just drinking that much water after a while you have to back off yeah you heard one that that charlie parker once had a water drinking contest with somebody no there's all these stories about him you know his 100th birthday is I think on the 26th or somewhere around the end of this month and I got invited by the Austrian um, radio they have a um, like a like sort of like NPR but it's the Austrian state radio and the jazz critic invited me and some other people to talk about Charlie Parker and so I'm trying to find all the little funny stories about Bird that that i've heard and that's one of them that that he won a water drinking contest with somebody maybe you should edit this out i don't know
0: <laughs> i love it i was just learning about blue whales um two nights ago and i mm-hmm. saw the best 20 minute video explaining things it is so uh informative and super fascinating anyway the blue whale is the largest creature to ever live on the earth yes. including dinosaurs um mm-hmm. it's the basically the longest and the heaviest thing ever. and um, But when they eat, they put so much water in their body, in their mouth for, to eat the krill, and then they have to filter it out. And um, they're saying if they don't have proper control of their mouth and their tongue to expel that water in an organized way, which they usually do, that they could actually die. And um, it could be a damaging... Thing because of the volume of the water. So, uh, you know, water is life giving, but it's also super powerful. And um, I think one of the things about health with people, too, is that they just, I don't think a lot of people drink enough water.
1: I drink liters upon liters of water and uh, more than almost anybody else. And also, when I do gigs, I drink a huge amount of water on stage because yeah. I, 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 for me, playing. I'm really playing um, a gig where I, where I'm playing uh, let's say a small group and I'm really improvising on a high level with a, with an interactive band. It's like a really athletic experience for me. And I realized that on the best of days, I'm not aware of my physical body when I'm in the moment of improvising, but the the all the preparation that we do practicing and um, and making sure we're healthy and that we're we have enough energy um, that is the the springboard from which we're able to move into some kind of musical um, trance state where and I, I think most musicians would would tell you this and I'm not saying it's only a jazz thing it's a I'm sure playing a when you're really playing a a Beethoven violin sonata, for example, from memory, there's an expressive, um, state of mind that, that goes beyond thinking and and beyond even self-awareness. Yeah. And I
0: think that can be true in a lot of things, even with, you know, in sports stuff too, Mm. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: the muscle memory has been trained. And then you try to not think and just just be, and that's such a cool, uh, (laughs) such a cool feeling. I've had it a few times and you're always trying to get back there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think one of the reasons people love sports like skiing or surfing is because it's so intense and so immediate. You have to be in the moment or rock climbing. You know, the only thing that matters is that next handhold. And um, I've done it very little, but I did free climbing once or twice. Um, Definitely life threatening situation. And I obviously survived, but, um, but it was the most intense focus that I've ever experienced because there is nothing else, but the next handhold. If you mess it up, muck it up. uh, That's it, man. So I don't really, I don't do climbing anymore because life is too precious for me.
0: Yeah. I think it's a serious addiction that some people have. And um, there's an awesome documentary. If people are interested in that kind of thing, it's called steep. I'm, mm. I live, I'm a Colorado native. I've never been a skier. I've gone maybe five, six times, um, mm. enjoyed it, but didn't love it, and it's just not my passion. Um, but steep about the uh, Heli skiing, and oh all of yeah. That. and anyway, the, some of the descriptions and the way they speak about things there is really fascinating about being there's nothing more of being in the moment than your life depending on the next move. You know.
1: yeah yeah i think that, um in a way it could be that the rise of extreme sports um i think it's accurate to say that 50 years ago people were not pursuing extreme sports on the level that they are now leaping off of mountains attached to um sails or i mean you know paragliding and all that um Maybe they would have if they had the chance, but I think our our society is so full of distractions, so full of um, overwhelming information. And there's so many challenging and um, sad and frustrating and, and catastrophic things going on. If I could just not think about that for an hour, I'm happy, right? And so let's go hang on the side of a mountain and force our brains to not think about the rest of the world and it is a kind of refreshing um coming back to the core of being human and not being uh, let's say being an individual consciousness and not part of a great association of consciousnesses
0: and i try to meditate
1: every yeah so when i when i meditate every day i'm i'm a, not a good meditator really actually i spoke to a a, a teacher once about how in that time I was always falling asleep. And she, so I told her I was a professional jazz saxophone player and explained the experience. And she said, well, actually, that's that's the same. That experience that I was mentioning earlier of of losing sense of my own body is what this master meditation teacher was saying was her goal. And so she said, just do that. Um, but yeah, the the chance to... I was thinking about it the other day, have you there was an article in the New York Times recently about this wall of galaxies that has been recently discovered behind a cloud of dark matter. And when I read about this stuff, I just think that the unfathomable scale of immensity that that science is uncovering in the universe, it just floors me and then I think here I am in my little life and this is what matters right now you know, um, did I plug my mic in, you know? And then I think, well, what does that have to do with the wall of galaxies, you know? Like, <laughs> and you kind of think, oh, wait, maybe my little life is not really like, so. I think
0: it's both. But though. it that is, though. so cool. And, and but it I, is. It's very cool to be aware. And I think I'm, I'm trying to become always more and more aware of, of not just you, your thoughts, or being in, in your life but then trying to be an observer of your thoughts. yeah. And as you're having this thought, thinking, oh yeah, how interesting, I'm having that thought. And, <laughs> and if you keep this big picture in mind, I think it's humbling, but it's also inspiring. And um, I think that's one of the main changes that needs to shift with consciousness of human beings so that we go, hey, by the way, we don't have anywhere else to go. This little tiny dot that Carl Stegen says, right? is floating in the middle of nowhere and somehow the conditions were right to make life possible. Everyone, this is Andy Middleton, friend of mine. Uh, We were, uh, we passed, (laughs) passed in the night university of miami uh he was leaving in the spring of 87 when i was arriving in the fall but i had always heard of his great playing and all and so andy where were you did you grow up
1: i grew up in a suburb of harrisburg pennsylvania and i went to the university of rochester for two years i um i didn't really i didn't understand what i was doing with music and i didn't really pursue music intelligently from the the in at that time of my life and I, I auditioned at Eastman School of Music as a classical saxophone player and um, the phone rang during my audition and the guy took the call and I just thought, oh, okay. When you when you answer the phone while a guy is playing his audition piece, it probably means you really aren't doing very well at all. <laughs> I was, <laughs> but I only applied for the hours University day, of Rochester, um, which is so not really with in a structured way. I so took an improv class, but I didn't have any lessons. And my older brother, Rob, is a saxophone player also. And at that point, I think he was going to Rutgers University. And the head of the jazz department there was Paul Jeffries, who had played with Charles Mingus and Thelonious Monk. And so Rob was in this um, more New York, urban, real jazz environment. And I was just, bouncing off the walls, practicing in Rochester. And he said, hey, why don't you come and audition at, um, at Rutgers? And then somebody, I guess one of the guys that was going to school with me said, I'm going to go to the University of Miami next year. And so I, I auditioned at those two places. And um, I got to Miami I flew down there, I didn't know anybody, I didn't know anything and I just took a bus to the campus and I happened to stumble into, guess who, Gary Lindsay. I was walking on campus and I saw this guy and I said, hey, do you know where the jazz department is? And he said, yeah, just come with me. And that was Gary Lindsay. <laughs> My oh. teacher later on, you know.
0: Yeah, awesome, man. Uh, yeah, I just saw Gary Lindsay in, at the Gen Conference in New Orleans in um, January. I was doing an Ableton workshop there, and then we had a real nice chat after that for a bit. And then he was gearing up to do his final concert in April, and now that's all passed over, and then he's, you know, he's retired now. So I'm assuming if things get back to somewhat normal, they'll have uh, an actual send-away concert, you know? And I'm going to fly down for that, because I was going to miss it and be in Atlanta at the time. Um, but he was a big influence on me, and I wouldn't be the writer that I am um, without his guidance. Because uh, his formulas and his concept really had a perfect impact for me when I was, you know, at school.
1: Yeah, I use his book in my classes. I've been teaching um, jazz theory, a uh, four semester class at the the university here in Vienna. It's not the University of Vienna; it's the uh, Music and Arts University of the City of Vienna. Yeah, his book is is basically the the perfectly organized expression of what he was teaching me and my fellow classmates in the mid nineteen eighties. And I, I do want to mention also Ron Miller, the yeah. composition teacher, was uh, immensely influential in me, as as were Gary Campbell and Gary Keller and and also Wit Seidner all all the teachers
0: all all of those guys are everybody that went through was lucky enough to go to the school um has those same thoughts i mean what a cool what a cool environment to put yourself in and expand your musical world you know it was so fun when my dad and i were on a eastern european river cruise and uh started off in vienna and i'm like andy we got to connect so we made it happen and then that was so fun um See in the school and everything. And then one of the coolest things was that then I was telling you, man, we're going to go check out Mahler, is my favorite classical composer. And uh-huh. I was just like, Vienna equals Mahler to me. And I'd been to Vienna a couple times before, but I was like, I'm going to go find his grave and I got to experience this just as a little quest for myself. And as soon as I mentioned to you, oh, yeah you, you got to take this train to this station and da da, da 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 And you had the, you had it all set up. And meanwhile, we're sipping coffee and eating apple strudel. I'm going, come on, man, this is great. Yeah. That was a, almost two years ago already.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Vienna is an amazing, amazing place. There, there's a very funny quote attributed to Mahler, um, which does reflect the character of Vienna. He says, when the end of the world arrives, I'm gonna go back to Vienna because everything there happens 50 years late. <laughs> and Vienna is an interesting thing because it's it's very, very modern, but it's also very traditional. In fact, all of Austria is like that. Um, I've been here 14 years now. And at the beginning, I was so um, aware of the similarities with American culture and the differences have become very, very apparent. Um, American culture is is essentially a transplanted and and varied version of the European cultures, but it's it's a charming and beautiful and and fantastic place to live. And especially in Corona times, I am so glad to be here.
0: How has it been to be an expat? Have you been received, and how was the adjustment in the well, first year? Well,
1: that's that's a really it's an interesting question. Vienna is um. Especially the the jazz world is a kind of, I'll use the term, old boys network. And um, the people are delightful, Um, but they, for some reason, I'm I'm not, you know, I was never really, I didn't want to be part of the, hey, let's play in a big band kind of scene. And I didn't want to play commercial music. And I came in here as the, the guy from New York, um you know, recording artist, touring guy, and I don't really know what people think of me, but uh, Fritz Power is a name that's not so well known, but after Joe Zawinul, Fritz Power was the Austrian jazz musician. In fact, he was, um, Zawinul recommended him to Cannonball. When when Zawinul went to play with Miles, he told um, Cannonball to get this guy Fritz, but Fritz didn't want to move to the United States. So Fritz has been a, a power for jazz um, for a long time. And I played in his band um, and my wife, Sheila, had a duo with him also. And so we were on stage at Porgy and Bess and Fritz said this beautiful thing. He said, Andy Middleton's the best thing that happened to Vienna in the last 50 years. And I, wow, that's super nice. Thank you, Fritz. But on the other hand, I have this image of, it's like I walked into a room with a all the jazz musicians sitting around in a circle facing inwards they all turned and looked at me some of them said hi fritz said hey great to see you but all the rest of them turned back towards the center and exactly and I, you know i don't take it personally i just see it as uh and i think a lot of um a lot of small places are like that where they they we got to take care of our own, you know, and jazz is actually quite fractured in, in Europe, just like in the United States. I mean, you know, all the, the major cities have their scenes, but only when you reach a certain place in terms of um, renown, do the Chicago guys know the New York guys and vice versa. Yeah. And um, so There's some astoundingly good musicians in Poland, in Hungary, in Slovakia, in Italy, of course. Um, But most of the Austrians, most of the, the top Austrian jazz musicians don't know those guys unless they play with them. So, in a way, it's been good for me because I play with the guys in Poland, Hungary, Italy, Slovakia, Czech Republic, Germany, Switzerland, France, Belgium, Netherlands denmark you know i'm that's that's what's great about being here is you know i i get to play with all those guys
0: sonic tonic is about though is like saying being in the moment but also um being open trying to grow and and notice how many more uh commonalities we have between us instead of these differences you know and kind of open yourself up and and try to disregard some of your um past Prejudices and go. Well, that kind of brought you to here, but but maybe I love Ben Hardy. He's a guy I've been reading a lot of in the last few years, <clears throat> and he's saying live as your future self, think as your hmm. future self. Who do you want to be? So it's that thing yeah. of instead of um, judging someone from your old thoughts, maybe try to just have a clean slate every day. Meditate, have your juice, feel good about yourself and then go, what can I learn today?
1: Yeah. Well, I think um, as musicians, we have a special gift and obligation to ourselves. Um, we wake up every day, and when we approach our musical um, project, whatever it might be, playing the saxophone, learning this tune, learning this repertoire for this gig, uh, composing something, um, creating a curriculum, whatever. Um, We actually, the way I look at it, I, I look at what I cannot yet do, and I then therefore take steps to develop and to become better. And I think there are many people who don't, have the opportunity to see themselves in that light and don't pursue a lifelong course of, of growing and, and developing, because I think it's a spiritual, emotional, human, uh, social, musical, physical connection that, uh, that keeps getting better. And lately I've been saying, wow, every single day of my life has been amazing. Of course, there's been some really, really scary, frustrating, depressing, sad um, failure days. But, you know, if you don't know what black is, how do you know what white is? If you don't know what up is, how do you know what down is? And so all of those are informing or, let's say, enriching the fact that uh, there are Quite a lot of days where I had successes, I had um, artistic satisfaction, I had a great day, whatever. But unless I have that balance, I didn't really live. And so I can just say, okay, hey, instead of calling this good and that bad, I'm just going to say, this is life.
0: Speaking of which, if all our listeners out there are enjoying Andy sharing his life and musical experiences. Consider giving a donation of any size. It really helps support the show and compensate Andy for his time. Links are on the screen in the description, and you can visit andymiddleton.com. Everything's happening for you and not to you. So each time you're, you're running across this, whoa, how awesome! I got a flat tire today. I was supposed to stop and think about this and do this other thing. It's happening for you as a guide, as a way to learn. And if you embrace that, boy, it really changed your perspective.
1: That's great. I, I remember reading about some guy who um, somebody stole his stereo or, or something like that. And instead of being angry, he said, well, I guess they needed it more than I do. And I was like, how do you do that? You know, how, how do you, um, but that's a great way to put it. So that, yes, life doesn't happen to me. Life happens for me. Or another way to put it, which I think gives everybody who wants to think this way more self-actualization um, power. If you say, I attract with my thinking the events in my life. and um, if I then take responsibility for this being in my life, then I know that I can either bring more of that or I can change it. You're
0: you know? in charge. However, you got to let it unfold. Yes. In any case, don't take the victim mentality. And, right. And have this, um, everything's, why is everyone against me? What, nothing's going right. The more you think that, the more that happens. So it's like, but this, those
1: are great tunes, right? Everything happens to me and do, 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 do. <laughs> but
0: there, leave it to musician. You just brought it back to the musical realm here. We're going back into the sonic area, um, which yeah. actually I want to do. It's very interesting that you said Austria is uh, steeped in tradition, but then it's really modern. And actually, that's kind of what I'm into and have been for a while with my electric trombone setup and Ableton Live and I'm a jazz musician. I love playing quartet in a club and playing standards but I've done that a lot and I've always kind of loved this funk thing and the electronic thing and using pedals on my horn and kind of uh, doing something new. So um, I've really embraced that the last few years and um, so and I thought with the Sonic Tonic experience it's cool to have the guests all maybe step out of their comfort zone and play this and you're a classic case for this I'm so psyched that this worked out and you were willing to do it because you're a self-proclaimed yeah, acoustic, jazz, saxophone player and composer And um, but the beauty that I find with musicians especially if you're open-minded you're creative and you have this skill this, you know, decades of practice you can apply that to anything you do yeah. And so turbulent altercation, you sent me a few takes and I loved your email saying, man, I just don't feel good about these. This is not that happening. And then, <laughs> and I read that before I listened to them and then I listened to them and I just laughed because <laughs> the, <laughs> in a, in a good way going, everybody is their worst critic, you know? Um, yeah. So you're all thinking this is not, um, this is not good, you know? and And I'm hearing it and going, how refreshing this is, man. And this whole thing is on E minor. It's, it's Dorian mode. That's it. But you're coming up with all this stuff really complex over this really cool funk electronic rhythm. And, um, so how was the experience for you? I mean, what, what, what did you feel while you were recording?
1: Well, that I'm glad you asked that question because a lot came up. Um, first of all, I was scrambling to figure out how to make garage band work and, and to to see the seconds rather than the bars or something like that. You know, it's like I was just trying to get all this stuff together. But my first book is called Melodic Improvising. And it's um, it was published by Advanced Music in 2005. That was a huge and extremely valuable journey writing that book. And it's become the focus of my my musical life, really, the 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 development of melodic ideas and how they are developed. And I started to realize that for me, melody is, I'm a very harmonically oriented person, um, but melody is what I do on the saxophone. I can express harmony, but it's always expressed as a group of tones that are not simultaneously played. In other words, it's not a chord, it's, it's a, a line. And, so um, this book was really, really important for me, and my second book, which I'm working on now, is called Linear Tonality, and the idea is that the 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 notes that an improviser plays or a composer writes, the line itself develops a feeling of coherence and togetherness, and for lack of a better term, tonality, that is um, more important and actually always was more important than the vertical note to chord or note to to root relationship. And um, unfortunately, all of the analytical tools that have been developed for bebop, for example, are essentially useless. Melody that is free of harmonic reference is uh, the way that Miles Davis' quintet played on the Live at the Plug Nickel recording. It was Miles Davis Quintet, 1965, December 22nd and 23rd in Chicago at the club called The Plug Nickel. And the, the story is that on the, on the airplane, Tony Williams said, Hey, let's play anti jazz. And so they played standards. And so there's, there's one um, take of Autumn Leaves where Wayne Shorter, it's Wayne Shorter solo, and for 55 seconds, I think, Wayne, Herbie, and Ron Carter are all completely without harmonic reference. And then Wayne throws in the the main theme, and they're all right there again. And um, so coming back to your tune, the thing is, I was realizing I don't really play with machines. I play with people who respond to what I do. And so, my improvising uh, the format that i that i get the most out of and feel the best about now is when i play with people and there's a an organic development of of give and take and a, and a creation of counterpoint and so i i recognize how challenging it is when i am the only voice that actually does anything at all and um so that's I was really frustrated by that and and uh as I wrote to you, you know, I, I felt like the ghost of Michael Brecker was always looking over my shoulder, like you know, he he is the absolute um the the king of this domain, you know, playing tenor saxophone over funky grooves and and uh and and so I was just like I don't want to play like Brecker. Actually, I can't play like Brecker. <laughs> so, but that's why I said here you do it because each one of those takes, I felt like I got into something. And then um, you know I'm looking at the counter going by and going Oh no! When do the trombones come in? Boo, 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 boo. And when's the head come back? And ah, and then I got to play the head. So, but it was really um, it was really fun.
0: Great! I'm glad to hear it. And that's the that's the point. I think it should be fun and it should challenge you. Concept. I love that thing you're talking about. Instead of thinking vertically, it's horizontal. It's about the melody, but you can do shapes and take it in and out of the tonality, yes. right? And, yes, yes. Uh, I have uh, another fellow UM grad, uh, Rick Margitza, is going to be on the show here. Oh, good. Next month. And he's been one of my favorites and recorded on a tune on that same album, um, uh, In The Now with Brecker. and. He's been doing a very hip thing on Facebook. I've
1: this seen it. Entire yeah, entire
0: year he's doing giving away a new lick every single day. His goal is to do 366 of them because it was a leap year. So he's like, <laughs> um, and it's all different categories over one chord, over a two five one. But when you hear someone, these great tenor players like yourself, when when our listeners out there, if you hear somebody going. Wow, he just kinda of playing out, you know, or I love the quote from the office. Uh, why don't they just play the right notes, you know? <laughs> it's like, I hate jazz, you know. Um, just play the right notes. Um, it's way more sophisticated than that. It's it's purposely like taking the harmony another place and then coming back with a great resolution and um a a tune that, that's one chord like this, Miles uh hearing Kenny Garrett play over that type of thing, right? That's when Yeah when I was at UM that was a big big thing and we went and saw miles yeah the whole school was there basically you know it was like man we got to go to this mecca you know um so uh then after the fact we should let people know I actually added some effects toward the end of your solo which you did not do and it's sort of this cool collaboration thing cuz then I can do it real time and I've done enough with my setup where i i try to do it organically like you're saying uh-huh. be in the moment not too right. much planning and, and just feel it I use my ipad to trigger different sounds and um i think it's really cool
1: okay hey darren i'm starting to get thirsty for my second favorite drink
0: <laughs> we have been enjoying our nice veggie drinks which make us feel good but there's another drink that makes us feel good (laughs) so what do you got andy what do you what are you switching to and by the way okay i've never had a guest switch drinks in the middle of the show so i love your style man
1: okay well it's a it's a a um a border smashing boundary smashing time today this is a an austrian um beer or is it german it might be german Um, same thing right It's a port. Yeah, yeah, same thing. Exactly. Just like, you know, Canada is the 51st state, right? (laughs) Yeah. And Mexico is part of Texas, as far as I know. Um, Yeah, so this is a porter, and it's organic, and it's uh, 6.9% alcohol, and uh, yeah. So I I was going to get a stout, but I couldn't get to the beer specialty shop, so.
0: I did get to the beer specialty shop.
1: That's very good. And um, you know, of course, why they call it Porter, right?
0: Explain it to
2: us.
1: Because the, the, um, the working men who carried things in, in London, the, the porters who carried heavy things between the ships and the, the transportation on land, they wanted a, a heavy but still refreshing beer at the end of their day. And um, so the Porter style is a dark, um, dark roasted style of beer. Um, you know, uh, chocolate, coffee, and beer are all, ooh, yeah, they all have similar um, flavor elements that come from the, the carbonation, the, the carbon, um, you could even say the burning, the roasting of the coffee bean, the chocolate bean, or in the case of beer, it's the barley. That's, yeah. um, so the barley is sprouted, then it's, um, the sprouting process is is stopped by heat. And so that's when they roast it, and they roast the barley to a, a dark color. It's not burned, it's actually, um, what's that word? Uh, caramelized. Yes. And so there's a caramel flavor in it that um that i very much like.
0: I since it's morning here, I thought I'd go for the oatmeal milk stout. Mm-hmm. And I had never had this one before. I like to kind of uh try new things. So Finkel and Garf. <laughs> Who knew? Okay. Um and um so yes, yeah, so smooth, it? smooth, malty, chocolatey. Um, mm-hmm. So well, here's some. To
1: you. Here's to you, yeah, and here's to um, music and communication and. Um, uh, I did not know, Darren, that we shared so many um, uh, viewpoints about about life. We. We haven't had much of a chance to to actually talk. If we had actually, if I'd gone on the road with you back when you were trying to get me to go on the road with you in um, two thousand, yep, yeah, I. But my daughter had just been born, and I didn't want to go on the road.
0: No, I was. She's now
1: twenty years old, and so I'm ready now, man. Let's go.
0: <laughs> actually, yeah. no, I'm not ready. Um, I ended up, yeah. Uh, my sister, Dawn Kramer, we just featured her last week on Sonic Tonic. She plays trumpet, got her on the tour. And then, um, yeah, I ended up calling Art Hayes, who was a yes. great sax player that went to North Texas. Right. So we yeah. have fun toured for a year with Matchbox 20, Rob Thomas and all, and it was great. You would have enjoyed it. But yeah, timing does matter.
1: Yeah. When I moved to New York in 1987, after getting my master's degree at Miami, you know i had this this idea that i would um i don't know i i didn't even really know what i was doing i was just okay let's let's do it and and when i think now i mean you you mentioned something earlier about um you know we are in this moment in other words i am sitting in my chair in my apartment in vienna now because of the choices i made every single day of my life and so i was sometimes i think if I had really gotten my wish to be, to have the kind of career that I thought I wanted to have, would I actually have enjoyed it as much as the life that I have had? And so, you know, thinking, all right, I get a a beautiful child into my life and then I go on the road and then I come back and I go, who are you? And she looks at me and says, who are you? You know, I, I didn't want that. And no. so I chose not to do that. And I'm, I'm really glad. I mean, I'm sure we would have had a great time. This is something I like to, to tell students that the, the greatest work of art that you will ever create is yourself, your life. And so um, you you mentioned something like this, uh, you know, who do you want to be as a musician? Who do you want to be as a person? What kind of life, what kind of life experiences do you want to have in your life that um, reflect your principles and your values and um, and leave you able to wake up in the morning and feel good. Now um, we didn't, we're unfortunately a bit tight for time because I, I forgot that you're eight hours away instead of seven hours away. And I have to go pick somebody up at the train station soon, but I did want to mention um, that you had asked me which piece I would like to promote on, on your show. And I don't have a, current project that I'm working on other than my own life, but, um, uh, the, the events of the last year in terms of the, the crisis of climate change, um, leads me to want to promote a composition of mine entitled polar bear seas. And, um, when I look at the, the opportunities that I've had in my life actually, um, My friends, when I was when I was so twenty years ago, a lot of playing, and I was, I was kind of a a preacher and always talking about environmental stuff. And so they actually created this thing called the Middleton Minute, where we would be on stage, and they'd like, okay, now ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Middleton Minute. You get, and so I would have one minute to recite as many environmental facts and figures as I could on stage, and then they would play this sort of like silly background music behind it. Um, But I realized that my artistic life is the only opportunity that I really have to, to make a difference. And so my first record is called acid rain. My second record is called terra infirma, which um, I just took the term terra firma and just thought, okay, sick earth. Um, It's not the earth that's sick. It's well, you know, Um, and, and so uh, my latest commercial recording, which is still a little bit, in the in the past already is entitled between worlds and that was more of a statement of having moved from new york to austria and being between worlds in a way um not really in austria not really anymore in the united states i don't know if everybody's aware of this but uh the the temperatures in siberia in the polar regions now are higher than they've ever been. I just read today about these out of control fires on uh river Delta in, in Southern Argentina. So there's fires raging in Southern Argentina. There's fires raging in Siberia.
0: Baghdad hit 125 degrees is the hottest ever last night, yesterday. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so, um, coming back to what I was saying before about, you know, we are this infinitesimal thing in the wall of galaxies, you know, but in fact our individual choices actually have power and have meaning. And um, so this composition, Polar Bear sees came about, I was reading about um, a research um, project in, in the Arctic. These, these guys were in a, in a ship following a mother polar bear. She was trying to find ice, and she was swimming with her baby cub, and she swam for 40, what was it now, almost 72 hours before she found ice. And the baby, the, the polar bear cub, died along the way, and the mother bear lost 40% of her body weight. This is the first time I've told this story, and I, I haven't come to tears. But I find this story so intensely emblematic of of the, the the crisis that our children are in danger. We are well. I don't want to get too doom and gloom, but every time I play this tune, and I tell the story afterwards, without exception people come up to me and say, I just love that polar bear song. I just, oh, which record is that on? And oh, it, it, you know, I mean, people are brought to tears by the story and then the way that we play it. And I sent you the, the lead sheet and I said, this is actually one of the simplest compositions I've ever written, but in a way it's super hard because it's, it's a seven four ostinato, quite slow. <laughs> And I've played it with bass players who speed it up and the bass players who slow down so much that I can't even play the melody anymore. And so it's actually a challenge on another level. You know, sometimes, especially young musicians, get fascinated by complicated and sophisticated stuff. But actually, sometimes the simplest things are where the, the real artistry lies, the sound. The, the phrasing, the emotional power of what's being played, the, the placement of rhythmic elements so that there's the maximum effect of the, all the other choices.
0: such a great message music is powerful and that's what we try to promote here is i think that's a unifier among humans everyone loves music and yet it's not put in the forefront of of life and um that's especially when it's free yes
1: you never have to pay for it now
0: i know um
1: that that's another discussion
0: there's so many it's like we're running short on time here um one thing i thought was neat because i know you're i've just noticed your posts over the last several years are always dealing with this environmental issue with climate change and animal protection and um i agree with all of it it's just we're we're on the same page with that and so uh, um through this whole covid quarantine i thought how eerie it was and how awesome actually um that people were in lockdown and had to stay home and and actually have a new thought of what they're doing with their day and what they do, and that the streets of the city cities around the world were empty. Yes. Um, so I was like, it's a global freeze. Everything is stopped. Ah. And and then I thought also there's this cool effect in Ableton Live on a reverb called freeze. And it, it freezes the sound of the reverb, not of the actual instrument that's playing it. So oh interesting when you hear it at the beginning this piano it's just normal then i put on the reverb and then i freeze it and then that's this pad that's going on underneath the whole song oh Um, so it's like i always love these double meanings of titles um so then when we were talking about what what song is to collaborate on i was like how perfect we got to do this global freeze song so then i gave it to andy and then i said just do what you want and then he started thinking well maybe i should do tenor and soprano and we'll put a lot of reverb on it and make it this beautiful thing. And, I mean, this is so nice. Turbulent altercation, I love that. Aggressive, hardcore, high-energy stuff. And my other absolute favorite thing is the opposite of that, which is melancholy, a couple of chords. It's all about sound. It's all about emotion. And um, we just spoke about Mahler. You know, if I want to feel something about music, it's Mahler. Pat Metheny, Pete Jarrett. If if you want to feel alive, and feel the power of music, go check out a ballad by any one of those three guys, and you will feel something.
1: Let me add two names to that: Ralph Towner and Kenny Wheeler.
0: Yeah, that whole ECM world, you know, is like yes. A... We collaborated on this song. I, I put this video to it. I think it's a nice message to end with, especially with Andy's passion for environment and the earth. It's a special time we're living in and we can all make a change. Do something in your area that makes a difference. Andy, is there a certain charity or program that you are a fan of?
1: Well, I really like what Extinction Rebellion is doing these days. Um, people being willing to get arrested in large numbers, not only to make a statement, but actually to block up the, the workings of the institutions that are, in some cases, oppressing. Um, Greenpeace has always been a very, very... Uh, potent force and and uh, a really idealistic group of people natural resources defense council oh there's just so many um the world wildlife fund um rainforest alliance i mean there's organic food labeling there's um the plastics issue there's the um, palm oil and the destruction of rainforests in indonesia that are leading to the extinction of uh, orangutans and uh, it's just Overwhelming. Just like in music, follow your heart. What issue lights you up the most and and, and check it out? So all of these special interest groups um, vary from very being very general to being very specific. You know, what are the treaties that, that the United States made with these sovereign nations worth if corporations are allowed to just say, Oh yeah, right, but we gotta build our pipeline.
0: Maybe we'll have yes. to do segment two here this fall or something. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. And, let's do it. Uh, but your talent and your ideas, thanks for sharing with all of us. And um, let's um, all do our part to change the world. And that is not just thoughts, that's action. And just know how lucky we are to live on such a beautiful planet. Yes.
1: In a beautiful time. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Darren. Thank you Thank very much. Thank
0: you, Andy. Take care of yourself.
1: It was a great pleasure.